0: well good morning church it is an honor to be with you this morning Um, my name is brian howard i'm the minister to students here at dawson and i get to intersect with a lot of our students and our families um, but rarely do i get to stand before uh, the breath of the church and so this is a really sweet treat for me and so let me just tell you a little bit about myself Um, i grew up in florida and i came to birmingham alabama uh, to attend Stanford university got connected to dawson immediately Um, i married my high school sweetheart kendall a little over two years ago, she's an airline pilot and definitely my better half. Um, and so, my time at Dawson, I was a student ministry intern in the ministry I'm in now, all throughout um, college. And then, once I graduated, I came on in the recreation ministry. And I spent about three years serving there. And now I'm going into year two of student ministry. And it has been an absolute joy. Now, I really, do, I really do mean that. And so since I have the stage, I do just want to take a second and brag on our students and our staff for a little bit. Because um, I came onto in the interim uh, right, right when COVID hit, a couple months after that. And so, wow, what a time to start. Um, our students, I could tell, they were, they were really hurting. But they were also, they never stopped being hungry for the word of God. And part of that was because God brought us a full team. He brought us Ben and Aubrey to come alongside and love and disciple your students. Um, But it really is just the most encouraging evidence that we serve a faithful God who is moving and alive and well. And is more powerful than any pandemic just to see where our students are today. And one of my favorite things recently um, has been to watch our high school students in what we call community groups. Uh, live out the gospel in homes all around the city. And so community groups, they're, they're not just in-home Bible studies, um, but they are in homes and we do study the Bible. Uh, but what they are, they are missional communities made to multiply. They're like little microchurches all over the city. And the whole purpose of them is for uh, people of all walks to feel welcome, to have a safe place to come and question the Bible, Question the gospel. Talk about their other religions. Talk about their different views, and have a safe place to discuss the gospel and learn about the gospel of Jesus. And so, I see a couple of our students in here who are who are part of community groups. And let me just speak to you as your student minister. Uh, I am so proud of you. It is my greatest honor as your student minister to sit back and watch you not just articulate the gospel, but live out the gospel. And people who would never set foot in a church, they are hearing the gospel every single week because of your faithfulness to God. And that is something to celebrate. And that's actually what we will be talking about today, what it looks like to faithfully follow God's call. So our students have modeled this for us, and Paul's going to walk us through uh, what more of this means. So this morning we're continuing our series in First Thessalonians. Um, Last week, Pastor David introduced this letter to us. He introduced that in chapter 1, that we as Christians were called to live a life worthy of imitation. And today we'll be in the first 12 verses of chapter 2. So if you want, open up your copy of God's God's Word. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we will be. As you're flipping there, um, let me just remind you a little bit of the background of this book. Um, It is that Paul and Silas were in uh, Philippi. We learn about this in Acts chapter 16 and 17. They were in Philippi and they encounter this demon-possessed slave girl and they cast out this demon and it really upsets the girl's owners and so they're beaten and they're arrested and they're imprisoned. And in prison, they're they're praising God. And an earthquake hits and it frees them and after they had been... beaten for preaching the gospel in their freedom. What do they do? They go and preach the gospel in the next largest city. And that was Thessalonica. And so they're in this city for about three weeks. They preach the gospel and a church is planted. And that is the church that we see in this book now. And then even in those three weeks, they're then accused of defying Caesar, of saying that Jesus is king over Caesar, uh, which is true. And so that persecution towards them became life-threatening and they they had to flee for their lives. And so this letter, 1 Thessalonians, it's Paul with Silas and Timothy encouraging the church at Thessalonica, saying, hey, we've heard that despite all the persecution, despite all the hardships, despite all the sufferings, you have been faithful to God. So read with me in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So let's just pause there. And there's three things I want us to learn today. Number one is that God calls us to faithfulness even in the midst of suffering. God calls us to faithfulness even in the midst of suffering. So notice in verse 2, Paul mentions this boldness that he has in God, this confidence, this strong confidence in who God is. But notice that that confidence, that boldness in God, it's sandwiched between suffering and shame and conflict. And it seems really counterintuitive what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, hey, we've had a really tough couple of weeks. Following Jesus is costing us. A lot we went to Philippi we preached the gospel we were beaten and arrested we came to you we preached the gospel and we had to run for our lives and so church I think that's what we need to do we just need to pump the brakes a little bit we just need to stop preaching the gospel just for a minute let everything die down for our safety is that what Paul says absolutely not in verse 2 he says that adversity all the suffering and the shame and that conflict that's what gives him boldness in God and this is so helpful for us to hear That Paul does not water down the gospel because of what happened at Philippi, but instead that fuels his faith in the truth of the gospel. And I think we can all agree that it's easier to follow God when life's easy, when we're comfortable, when we have security. But what Paul's saying here is that God does something special in the lives of a believer when we experience suffering, when we experience pain. We see this in James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, there's a completeness accomplished in us, a not emptiness accomplished when we suffer, that we worship a God who never wastes your pain. But it's through that pain that he gently forms us into faithful followers by showing us how faithful He is to us. Think of what must have to happen for a diamond to form. We have this dirt deep down in the earth and called carbon deposits, which is the fancy word for dirt, and it experiences extreme heat and pressure over time until eventually it is made into something beautiful. In the same way for us, we go through the intense pressures and the heat of life, and God uses that to create us into something Beautiful, something that resembles more of Him, someone faithful. So, why is faithfulness so important? Why is it it important that we are faithful to our God? Well, Paul says it in verse one. He says, "Our coming to you was not in vain." Why? Because verse two, we had boldness in God. We were faithful to God despite what was happening. So, Paul's saying that this faithfulness in God it actually benefits us. It protects us from a vain life. That word vain there just means empty. Paul's saying, hey, our visit to you, church, it was not empty. It was filling. It wasn't worthless. It was valuable. Why? Because God did something in us and he did something in you through the pain, through the suffering. Paul's saying faithfulness to God, despite your circumstances, it protects us from a vain life. That if we don't want to live an empty life, we have to live for something bigger than ourselves. And the only thing worthy of our lives is the one who gave us life, and that is Jesus. So God calls us to faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And number two, God calls us to have faithfulness freed from sin. Read with me verses 3 through 6, starting in verse 3. Our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man but to please God who tests our hearts for we never came with words of flattery as you know nor with a pretext for greed God is witness nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ what what Paul's doing in these couple verses is he's defending himself against the accusations that he's not living faithfully to God against the accusations that he's living in sin. And we actually see the sins that he has been accused of. We see in verse 3, he's been accused of error, that his message was a lie. He's been accused of impurity, that his lifestyle was sexually impure. He's been accused of an attempt to deceive, that he wasn't living a life of transparency. He was trying to hide something. Verse 5, he's accused of words of flattery, and he used manipulative language to get what he wanted. He's accused of greed, that he only wanted the Thessalonians' money. And in verse 6, he's accused of seeking glory. They're saying that he craved man's approval and praise. In other words, Paul has been accused of wanting sex, money, and power. And we know that in Acts 17, there's this extreme hostility towards the gospel here in Thessalonica. um, And it's the people opposing the gospel who are accusing Paul of this. but, But that's not their end goal. Their end goal is to discredit the Thessalonians' faith. And so it might seem a little ironic that Paul begins this passage in verse 1 saying, Hey, we did not come in vain. And then the rest of the verses, he just talks about himself. But Paul, by defending himself, is defending the Thessalonians' faith. His opposers are saying to the Thessalonians, Hey, Paul's phony, he, he's not being authentic. That he spoke in error, he was impure, he was deceitful, he was manipulative, he wanted your money, he wanted your praise. Paul's phony and therefore your faith in Christ is phony. And what Paul is saying is absolutely not. We did none of those things. And Thessalonians, you know it. You know it and God knows it. He calls on their own memory. He says multiple times in this passage, you remember, as you know, and God knows. Look at verse 1. For you yourselves know Verse 2, as you know. Verse 5, as you know, God is witness. Verse 9, for you remember. Verse 10, for you are witness and God also. And verse 11, for you know. Paul lived a life above reproach. That he had faithfulness to God that's confirmed not just by his own words, but by every single person he ministered to. Paul's defense was the Thessalonians' testimony. And church, I think it's really important for us to recognize that we're all called to live in that way. We're called to live a life worthy of God, where when we are inevitably accused of something and our words are not enough, we can point to all the people in our lives who know us and they can say, that person is living faithfully to God. They're living faithfully to God. And so when I say that God has called us to have faithfulness, freed from sin, I do want to be careful. I want to clarify that. I'm not saying that once you have faith in God, you never sin again. That's, that's not at all what's happening here. But what I'm saying is that God has called us to live a pure life. As verse 12 puts it, to live a life worthy of God, worthy to bear his name. And I think we all understand that we can't work for our salvation. There's no amount of work we can do. There's nothing we can earn to earn salvation. It's a free gift from God. But once we receive that salvation, God has a standard. God has an expectation for how his children are to live, and that is a life freed from sin. And that freedom from sin is important to him. He bought it with his own blood. And so Paul here is being accused of not doing that, not living faithfully to God. So notice all the accusations towards Paul are centered around verse 4, where Paul says, So we speak not to please man, but to please God. That all these accusations are acts to please man, Paul's saying, hey, I wasn't called by man. I wasn't commissioned by man. I don't have a message by man. I'm not empowered by man. I'm not accountable to man. Why on earth would I ever please man? God did all those things for me. And I think that's what we have to come to realize, church, is that there's really two ways to live. Either we can live a life faithful to God or enslaved to sin. A life pleasing God or pleasing man. And we know that a life faithful to God, it frees us from sin. But what about a life pleasing man. What does that look like? Well, what happens when we please man is we become phony. We become fake, inauthentic, insecure, because we're always desperately trying to prove ourselves and earn an identity that God has already given us. Our world's filled with this. It's filled with fakeness. It's filled with man-pleasing. Let's look at social media alone. All the different variations of it. You can create a perfect picture of what you want the world to see you as and then get instant quantitative feedback about how much man approves you how many likes you get and when we live without christ when we live a life pleasing man we then look inward instead of upward and we find ourselves desperately searching for life in a spiritual graveyard there's nothing special deep within us it is only god who gives life so, Christians, Christ has freed you from craving the approval and acceptance for man. Do you have enough faith in your God to trust his ways, to live above reproach, to live freed from sin? And are you living in such a way that when you're inevitably accused of something, that your lifestyle and the people around you confirm it? So, God has called us to faithfulness in the midst of suffering. He calls us to uh, be freed from sin. And finally, God calls us to faithfulness to the family of God. So read with me verses 7 through 12, starting in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. You are witness in God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We already clarified earlier that God has a standard. He has an expectation for how his children live. And that expectation is not just to live a life freed from sin, but it's also to live a life that bears fruit. And so what Paul's saying in these verses, 7 through 12, he's saying, hey, we didn't live a sinful life. We didn't try to please man. We pleased God and we Bore fruit in our lives. We were gentle and nourishing. We shared the gospel. We shared ourselves. We worked hard. We're living holy and righteous and blameless. We exhorted you. We encouraged you. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That this is the fruit that shows they have faith. Some scholars talk about this passage, verses 1 through 6, being the x ray of the Christian. What's on the inside? That we know we have boldness in God, we're confident in God, we have a recognition of the way God wants us to live. And then verses 7-12, through what we just read, being the photograph of the Christian. What's on the outside, how they live out the gospel. In other words, that if God has truly made us new inside, then that new life should be visible on the outside. This is the entire argument that, going back to James, his second chapter has. He says that faith, the inside, without works, the outside, it's dead. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Churches, it's really hard to be an orange tree if you never produce oranges. It's really hard to be a Christian if you never bear the fruit of the Spirit. And I love how Paul puts this. I love how Paul shows us what this looks like in the family of God. So notice the sibling language he uses. Verse 1, for you yourselves know brothers that are coming to you was not in vain. Verse 9, for you remember brothers, our toil, our labor and our toil. He's addressing his brothers and sisters in Christ. That even after three weeks, because of their decision they made in Christ, they are now family. And I think it's a good reminder that we all need spiritual brothers and sisters to walk alongside us in all seasons of life. So he talks about not just siblings, but also notice the parental language he uses. Verses 7 and 8. says, Paul acted as the Thessalonian spiritual mother, and he gently nursed them with the necessary nutrients for spiritual life, that he shared not only the gospel, but also his own self, that he spoke truth and he lived out truth. And that's what spiritual mothers do. They endlessly, selflessly, unconditionally give themselves so that their child is nourished. And he's not only acting as their spiritual mother, but also their spiritual father. Look at verses 11 and 12, where he exhorted, encouraged, and charged them to live a life worthy of God's calling. So the word exhorted there, it means to encourage in such a way that uh, calls for a response, an action. So it's not just being confident in Christ, it's acting on that confidence and being bold in Christ. The word encourage means to comfort. So what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians was that, uh, all that suffering and shame and conflict I talked about in verse two, uh, that we, to remind them that there's a God who comforts us, who frees us from sin. And then that last word, "charge," it literally means to bear witness with first-hand authentication. In other words, uh, is an eyewitness, an eyewitness. And so what Paul's saying is, "Hey, I personally, I used to live a life enslaved to sin i used to live a life pleasing man i used to live a life killing christians and it was all in vain it was an empty life but now i live a life faithful to my god and despite all the persecutions it is worth it that jesus is worth it and that's what a spiritual father does for us so Kendall and i we don't have any kids um, we think that the couple hundred y'all have given us is plenty And so we have enough to keep our our hands full, but Kendall's not a mom. I'm not a dad. So I'm not going to pretend to know the sacrifices of being a parent, Um, but I am a son and I have a mom and I have a dad and they're they're both here this morning. Um, And I think what Paul is telling us here is that we don't just need spiritual siblings. We need spiritual parents. We need people to show us what faithfulness looks like, to form us into the people we are today whether that's a mentor or a coach or a teacher or a minister, we all need spiritual parents. And when I think about my spiritual parents, this isn't the case for everyone, but I think about my biological parents. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because they're there. Um, But I, I think it's really important that we all have spiritual parents. When I was thinking back on my childhood and how I was when I was in middle school and high school, I was reminded of how difficult of a child I was and disrespectful And I was a punk. I really was. Um, I I would definitely uh, end up in the principal's office. And so for me, I was remembering how perfectly my mom embodied verses 7 and 8. How perfectly she showed how gentle God's love was how perfectly she showed how unconditional God's love was, how sacrificial God's love was. And if I have any of those things in my life, it's because my mom modeled those for me. She modeled those for me. In the same way, when I think about my, my uh, spiritual father, I think about my biological father. I think about um, the car rides we used to have on the way to work. Growing up, we lived about an hour from where he worked and an hour from where I went to school. And so most of high school was just me and my dad, driving an hour in and an hour back. And I'm sure parents, you can uh, appreciate how fun that must have been for my dad um, in my teenage years. And I remember vividly how gentle he was when I'd get in the car. He never forced conversations, he he never made me talk when I was having a bad day. He let me sit quietly and silent and listen to only Christian radio. and that was good for me, so. um, but he always made himself available. He always made himself available. And it was that availability, that accessibility to my dad that made me actually want to talk to him. And over time, those small conversations became deeper, and as I got older, they became more meaningful. And it wasn't one monumental moment that just changed my life. It was all the little encouragements to do the right thing. It was all the comforting me on the hard days. It was all the sharing the wisdom with me that he had learned firsthand that taught me what Jesus looked like. And I wanted to be just like him. Church, we don't just need spiritual parents in our life. We are called to be spiritual parents for others. We're called to have sacrificial or we're called to sacrificially give ourselves ourselves to lead the way for our spiritual church family, to live holy, to stand out from the world, to live righteous, to treat people rightly, to be blameless, to live above reproach, just as much behind closed doors as we do in public. We have to teach with authority. We have to comfort those who are hurting. And we have to live lives that proclaim the truth of the gospel. That God has called us to faithfully give ourselves to the family of God. Why? Because that's what he did for us. God calls us to be faithful in the midst of suffering. Why? Because that's what he did for us. God calls us to be faithfully freed from sin. Why? Because that's what he did for us. And church, not if, but when you fail to be faithful to God. Be reminded that we worship a God who has never failed, who was and is and always will be perfectly faithful. Paul's goal to the Thessalonians was that they walk in a manner worthy of God, that their lives would be honoring and pleasing to God, for them to live under God's kingdom, his sovereign and righteous reign, and see his glory, his beauty, and choose that over sin. And church, that is the goal. That is why God calls us to live faithful lives. So, Christian, are you living a life worthy of God's calling? Let's pray.